Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am here today with a very timely episode with Adam Collins, who's a managing director at MGA. So we got a lot of stuff going on in the world, as we know. And at MGA, Adam is responsible for tenant representation. So if you have any situations that's been going on with your office, this is absolutely an episode to tune into. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Adam. Thanks for having me, Jan. Uh, I'm excited. All right, awesome. So, okay, let's talk a little bit about what you've been up to. Full disclosure, you know, Adam does work with law firms, but other businesses obviously as well. It's probably been a pretty interesting past couple months for the <laughs> representation side of things. Just kind of overview, like what, what's this year been like for you? It has been uh, interesting. Uh, well, from a, a business perspective, it has been a, a great opportunity for myself to kind of double down and, and, and focus on working on my business. When you're working from home, like we were doing for you know four months or so, you get a little bit more time, a little bit more focus to do both the working in the business and working on the business. So setting up some systems and really up in my prospecting game and my, my presence initiatives, that, that's been really awesome. But in terms of how my business has gone and what I've been focused on and, and what my clients are needing is in, in March and April, it was a lot about how to help my clients get PPP loans and talk about rent relief and kind of help them reset and, and, and kind of move forward or, or figure out the best, best path forward. And now we're talking about a lot of it is bringing your staff back to the office and how do you do that in a safe way? What changes need to make your office space? And then some, for some of them, we're looking even more long-term. What does remote work mean for their office space? How do we implement that into their commercial real estate strategy? If, if they're having a, a significant number of their employees, it looks like they're working remotely fine and, and they want to continue and, and the employees want to continue working remotely. We really need to be thinking about how do we adjust your real estate strategy so uh, you're, you're not paying for office space that you're not using. And if it's not the most efficient space for it, you know, how do we re relook at that strategy? And so that's been kind of how I've been spending my time from March till, till now where it's mid-July. Yeah, gotcha. And then just for a little bit of context too. So geographically, you're located in the DC area, right? Yeah, yeah. So MGA serves DC, Maryland, Virginia. We've got clients that have headquarters here or at least some sort of office here. And then we also help them with real estate throughout the country. But most of our clients are here in the DC area. Yeah, gotcha. And then like, it's kind of interesting too. So, you know, we're based out of New York here mostly. So it's kind of interesting. We're in a little bit of a different situation than some of the other parts in the country. So I feel like part of your experience in, you know, March and April is probably what any of the listeners that might be in, you know, Texas or California or Florida are going through right now. As far as just just kind of a broader question too. So I know I kind of mentioned this in passing about MGA, but basically, you know, tenant representation. We have a lot of attorneys that might think, hey, look, I'm an attorney. I had to look at contracts all day. What's sort of the situation with the law firm clients that you guys work with generally? Yeah, so um, kind of, it depends on who the clients are, but we service law firms just as well we service anybody else. And, you know, obviously attorneys know their expertise and it, 
business owners in general, sometimes when they're, especially newer to the business, they're under this misconception that, oh, maybe if I don't use a real estate broker, I'll be able to save some money on the rent. And, uh, and, and frankly, that's just not true. With, at MGA, our, our goal is to get you not only the most efficient office space, but also the most flexible lease terms. And of course, you know, make sure that you pay as little as, as possible for it and you know, negotiate that down as, as, as much as we can. And the way that we look at commercial real estate has a much more of a holistic viewpoint than, say, a, a business owner trying to do it. You know, we've got a workplace strategy department that we consult with and you know, it's, it's part of our firm to understand how you're working in your office, what's important, what exactly we need, not only from your office layout, but also from a building perspective. Which building should we be looking at? Uh, do we need 30 by 30 column spacing, 15 by 15, 15 by 20? What do we like? What's an efficient floor plate? So we get into the nitty gritty to make sure that because that all translates into dollars and cents at the end. And if we can get you into 10,000 square feet when you thought you needed 15,000 square feet, that's going to be a, a drastic impact on your bottom line each and every year. And, and then, of course, just the, the, the market knowledge pushback that I get from some, when I was younger in my career, some startup businesses is, well, we've done uh, our last couple of leases together. And our answer to that is, of course, I did you know, three or four leases last month. So having the market impact or the market knowledge uh, about the, the intangible. So it's not, it's, it goes beyond just rental rate. It, it's every aspect and looking at it from, you know, with a fine tooth comb and, and understanding where those benchmarks are and what you should be getting out of your lease and, and how do we make your lease work for your business, right? Uh, it should really be an asset, not a liability. And, and I, I truly believe that choosing the right landlord is, especially if you're a significantly sized tenant, they're, they're your business partner. And that was a really true a few months ago when some of my clients were looking at rent relief and, and how do we structure that? It's got to become a win-win situation for both because a landlord and a tenant are, are in this together. We, what we do is we structure relationships for three, five, seven, ten years or, or even longer sometimes. And so to be able to structure that relationship is something that it's delicate, but you need to, it's, it's not, a, it's not a, just a hardcore dollars and cents negotiation. It's, it's also laying out the groundwork for the relationship to make sure it's successful. Yeah. And it's, it's actually interesting too. So I mean, basically for anyone who's listening to the podcast, like unless you are, you know, a real estate attorney, chances are uh, you probably have done fewer <laughs> than Adam has recently. And, and one of the things I see, you know, even actually just, you know, regardless of what we happen to be talking about, I always think there's a huge value in adding expertise, especially when people pay you as an attorney for your expertise, sometimes three, four, five hundred dollars per hour. <laughs> Definitely makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So to kind of dive in a little bit to the nitty gritty. So this is the situation. So I mean, I happen to work on a fully remote team and, and we're, uh, we're fully remote here at Case Fuel. But um, for people that might have had a medium sized or a larger team, it's a different situation for rent relief than most people who were potentially you know, looking at their personal lease or something like that. So I actually find that fascinating. What was the situation when things were kind of in the thick of it for you guys? And how did you guys end up coming with some creative solutions for that? One of the things about rent relief is it's, you got to give a little to get a little. I mean, you, you're not going to get something for nothing, right? I encourage my clients if they really did truly need it. And, and actually, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of my clients their business wasn't so affected by it. I work with some doctors and dentists and um, some people that, you know, have um, an educational client. So I get a lot of different types of clients where they needed the real estate to actually make their money. Uh, you can imagine a, a dental practice can't really make money if 
they, they can't be open. All right. So that right. there, there is an appropriate uh, time. So, but it ranged, it, it, it varied depending on the type of landlord. And again, that's why understanding what type of landlord you're working with is important. Is it a mom and pop landlord? Is it a, a big real estate investment trust? Because that, then you can pull some different levers, but it, it ranged from, um, we got some, one of them was uh, six months of half rent from, April to uh, October, and then they were able to repay that deferred rent over the course of the next seven years. And then we had some other landlords that were more on the, the mom and pop side of things where they were a little harder to negotiate with because it, if my client weren't paying rent, they wouldn't be able to really afford their mortgage. So being able to understand that. So in that situation, maybe they would get three months of half rent and then the repayment period was a, a shorter repayment maybe with over the course of a year, as opposed to over the course of seven years, like some of the other clients I've had. So uh, it, it would depend basically based on who the landlord is. And, but again, it goes back to creating a win-win scenario. If you were seeking rent relief, you would behoove you not to think that you're going to get free rent. It's going to be a deferment with some term tacked on or with some different sort of legal language added. So it had to be, become a win-win situation. You had to give something to get something, I think. Okay, gotcha. And it's, it's kind of interesting too, because I was kind of thinking about this, like in my personal life, I'm a bit of a cowboy negotiator. So like, I was just thinking like, is this kind of like a blood from a stone situation? Is it going to be like no money versus some money? But actually that, you know, that makes a lot more sense. And especially as you scale things up, it's like a real estate investment trust is just looking for, you know, a rate of return over a certain time period, but like, you know, versus your mom and pop, it totally makes sense that, you know, that's, that's going to be coming out of, you know, their, their mortgage for the next month. So, you know, that, that's super interesting. And, you know, as far as like, I, you know, I, I haven't been keeping track on things state to state, but I, I remember for a while, I believe um, California was actually able to go up and get the mortgages at the bank level pause for a little bit, right? Like, do, do you see that? I mean, especially as this thing continues to play out around the country, is that something that you think would be reasonable or, or people might be able to expect for a holdout? Well, I know that it's still something that legislators are still working on in different parts of the country. It's difficult as there's a lot of different stakeholders and you talk about the large office buildings. While one building might be owned by, or, you know, might have 75% equity from a bank like Capital One, they might have their 75% equity from private investors or a pension fund or the capital stack in every building is a little bit different. And so that's why this whole thing creates such a kind of a, a huge trickle down effect is it's kind of where do you, where, where do you give the, the relief? Where do you give the austerity measures? Do you bail out the banks? Do you bail out the landlords? Do you bail out the tenants? Obviously, our government started with the tenants first, and we'll see what happens uh, going forward as more and more landlords are starting to hurt. In, from For office properties and multifamily properties, industrial properties, the delinquency rate uh, from commercial mortgage-backed securities isn't drastically higher than it was last year. From retail and hospitality, it's getting up there. I think hospitality, last I checked, you know, 30% of the the loans were delinquent or in default, which is obviously uh, got, a, got a lot of impact on, on the rest of the world as people buy these commercial mortgage-backed securities. And right. uh, so it makes for a difficult challenge. I'm not sure what's exactly going to be the, the answer that, that our government chooses. Uh, overall, is I don't know that we want to have a situation where every hotel is in foreclosure and every strip center or shopping center is in foreclosure. So I'm not really sure. 
where it'll go, but there's definitely going to be at least maybe, I think, one more, one more wave of, of help. Okay, gotcha. And then, by the way, you're on the record for this, so that's locked in and loaded. We'll refer back to them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, yeah, this is kind of <laughs> speculation. It's kind of a Ben Bernanke yeah. question, but uh, okay. No, but yeah. so yeah, it is, it, no, it's a super complex situation, and I guess it's very hard to predict. But yeah, I mean, it looks like things are kind of in a, to, to shift back towards the, towards the Northeast a little bit. So around where you're at, and um, if I'm not mistaken, on the pre-call, I did see you walking out of an office. So it looks like you're at least back to the office, Adam. But what's kind of the situation around the DC area right now? And, and how are the, your clients kind of acclimating to, to getting back to work? And where do you see that going in kind of the near term? Yeah, so as we stand today in, in the middle of July, downtown DC remains to be quite the ghost town. The Metro is it's myself and then some workers from the Pentagon. So not a lot of people are back to work yet. I, I do have some clients that are starting to trickle back into their offices. And I think as, as we currently are, you know, Labor Day, September, like mid to late September is kind of where I've seen some of my other clients start to plan to open their offices. Uh, and, and even then, I think they're expecting capacity to be between 20 and 50%. Um, you know, we send out surveys uh, for our clients to kind of gauge like how much participation we're going to, or how many staff can we expect to have back in the office. And from there, we put together a plan of attack, I mean, a plan of, okay, what do we have to do with the conference rooms? What do we have to do with the workstations and the offices and the kitchen? And, you know, how do we kind of, for better, lack of better terms, how do we COVID proof the office as best as we can so that we can have a limited staff back to the office. But as of now, you know, mid-July, we, we're not seeing a ton of people back unless they are like, they need to go to the office for some sort of secure government work. Right. And then, I mean, as far as the people, I think there's there's probably a lot of, especially probably the, the mid and larger size firms that, that, that listen to this podcast. It's like, you know, you're probably missing the office environment to, to some capacity. But like, as people are, are kind of, there's, there's definitely a care as far as people wanting to get back to the office. Like what, have you seen any sort of, you know, creative setups or schemes that people are doing to kind of minimize the down, uh, you know, the risk of the virus while still being able to collaborate in person like they're used to? Well, yeah, I think we have, um, so we're, we're back at the office. We're not a, not a huge organization. We've got about 25 people and we've got maybe about 20 or so that are in the office and our office is pretty spread out. We have a larger office than, than headcount that's currently here. So things like when we're talking about meetings, right? Uh, if you still want to have your company staff meeting, I, you know, I think that Zoom and the, the other kind of video meeting platforms are, are still going to be necessary when you're in the office because you don't want to obviously put 20 people into a conference room again, at least not until we've got a vaccine. So th that's been useful for us in, in when, we, when we're having our staff meetings. It's important to have some signage to make sure that people are walking the right direction. You don't want people to cross and converge and, you know, risk the spread of some droplets. But and then also, we've got hand sanitizing stations and Windex bottles strategically placed throughout our office so that after you, if you say you're in a call room or a conference room, you can wipe down uh, your surrounding areas. One thing that I think that more people are leaning towards because it's an easy solution is to stagger the days at which employees come in. So if you've got, say, a finance department that all, everybody wants to come in back to the office, you know, you don't want your, your entire finance department coming in on the same days. And, and the reason being, because they're more likely to interact with each other and they're more likely to need to talk with each other close to close or uh, closely. So 
if you stagger, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, these two people in the finance department come, Tuesday, Thursday, the other two people in the finance department come. And then if you guys need to meet, you meet on Zoom rather than huddle up in the conference room. And so, and you could do that with the rest of your, your departments as well to just kind of limit the social interaction that you, you have in, in close quarters with people. Yeah, I think that's a great solution too. I mean, it's almost like, um, you know, when they have those different locks in like the Titanic, so it's like, <laughs> God forbid were to happen, it's only going to get so many people. And then kind of switching gears a little bit, but the same kind of vein. It's like you mentioned a couple, you know, in addition to the attorneys, you have, you know, some of the uh, the dentists and, and I guess probably what would be considered, well, is, that, is dentists essential? I don't know. Um, but as far as client facing concerns, because I'll, I'll give an example. We're working with a lot of estate planning attorneys right now and generally working with a pretty at-risk population and, and usually you know, retirement age and older people. But also in a lot of states, they have the requirement for in-person notarization of the finalized estate planning documents. So have you seen anything as far as like precautions? And this could be any businesses you work with or any, you know, even any properties, because sometimes a lot of times they're, they're working in an office out of a shared building. How have you seen people making sure they're keeping themselves safe from their clients and how are they keeping their clients safe from them? Uh, yeah, so I think um, people are, for the most part, limiting interactions uh, pretty well by, I've seen, I mean, I, I know a lot of business owners and a lot of them are pivoting to video, right? So if you're, uh, I don't work with movers per se in terms of like finding them space, but I know them and I know that they, they pivoted towards giving estimates based on FaceTime and Zoom, right? Uh, so to kind of be able to limit those interactions when you can is great. You know, from commercial real estate, a lot of that we've seen for the first time, commercial real estate stepping into the 21st century and having uh, video tours available online, or we actually have now 3D walkthroughs like they've had in residential for years. We, we now have that for some office spaces, which has been interesting to see and makes things a little bit easier. I know so, some states are... I think they just uh, in Florida. I think I saw they now allowing you to DocuSign leases, and which is which is coming at a right time. Whereas Florida used to be able, you used to have to kind of sign them in, in wet ink. Not that I, I deal in Florida or anything, but I, I just noticed that people are more accepting of all the technology that we have and realizing we've got this technology. Let's use it. And I think it's it's actually really great to kind of realize that some people are forced to realize that we've got such a so much at our fingertips that we weren't utilizing before and to be able to to network with people to be able to check in with people i know that i've certainly been using more technology than i was before when it comes to walking through building options or proposals with my clients or when we're talking about redlining leases or letters of intent i've just been proactive and gotten more use out of the technology it's just been a, one of those things that it's uh yeah Okay, yeah, it's, it's. I mean, I would say probably it's. It's likely that a lot of the stuff that's that's running for you know real estate is is probably going to be running parallel as far as like the notarization, a lot of these documents as well. So you know, it's interesting, and like I think honestly, it's it's probably better for for time being, especially you know, especially with that that very corner case of, of estate planning that like you know the states that have remote notaries are probably going to be in a better position, and yeah, the rest of these states. <laughs> I don't think we have any governors listening to this podcast. <laughs> what what's going on? Let's, <laughs> let's catch it up. It's funny. So we have a client right now and the guy's a WeWork guy and every single time <laughs> I see him uh, we were on the zoom together and it's like I am legend the guy's the only person that we work right now but <laughs> how do you think this is going to end up affecting co-working situations for I mean probably the, the smaller end of the, the spectrum as far as law firms go moving forward 
Well, I think it's going to be tough for them. For co-working, when we're talking about those companies that are two, three, four people, which makes up probably, depending on the co-working space, you know, 30 to 40% of their overall population, sometimes office space is a bit of a luxury good. And in the time of an economic downturn, uh, the first thing that might go is that office space. When you're working from home anyways, and then maybe there's a vaccine that comes at the end of the year, right? There's going to be a lag um, in the time that people go out and go get more co-working space. So they cancel their co-working membership, and then there's a vaccine, and then it might be you know another year, year and a half before they realize, okay, it's time for me to get back into an office environment instead of uh, working from my home office. Uh, so I think it'll be a tough time for them. The way that commercial leasing works, a group like WeWork and some of these other large groups, they've been expanding really rapidly. WeWork and in, in, in some other co-working spaces took a combined 1.2 million square feet of office space in the D.C. area alone last year, which means that they grew faster and, and took up more office space than any other entity or any other type of entity, really. So that's going to leave a hole in the market. In a market like D.C. where we're producing so much Class A space, the demand is certainly going to fall behind from where our supply is going. Our supply is going up an incredible amount and our demand is uh, remain to be seen where it's going to be. But I know that WeWork and the other spaces aren't going to be expanding. In fact, they're probably moving the other direction. We saw WeWork get back about 115,000 square feet in, in Manhattan earlier this month. And they gave back another 68,000 square feet in Baltimore to their landlords. And so they're, they're probably contracting their, their right sizing is what the, they're going to call it. And financially, they've been on rent abatement mostly. So when you expand and you sign a new long-term lease, you get one to two to maybe even three years worth of free rent uh, up front. And so for a company that wasn't profitable during the good times in the last uh, 12 months, I think it's going to be difficult when the demand is, is shrinking for them. The, the one thing I'll say about WeWork that, that might be a, an upside is I think companies that are kind of in flux, the larger enterprise companies are going to look to co-working spaces for sort of flexible office space, you know, flexible lease terms while they figure out their long-term real estate strategy for the next year, year and a half, where a lot of groups are, are trying to understand what the office looks like, what their commercial real estate strategy looks like going forward. There might be uh, some room for WeWork office as opposed to signing on to a, a long-term five, seven, 10-year lease with a prime landlord. It's kind of interesting. Like I can't help but think of kind of the implications from that. So if we're looking at in a lot of areas, one of the biggest buyers of commercial real estate, getting this inventory back on the market. If somebody were in the position where, and look, we've had people on the podcast that have been in this position. There's some people like I, I would call them sort of your, your wartime CEOs that are absolutely making hay right now. And maybe they're hiring and maybe they want to get some office space. If that kind of guy wanted to time the market, <laughs> and that's another one of those fun speculative, like what do you generally think would be like the dynamics to pay attention to, you know, the next, next year or so they wanted to start getting into one of those situations? Well, so yeah. So, so if you're talking about purchasing or leasing, I guess either or. Yeah. So, I mean, I think if, if you're leasing, right. And you have, you, you occupy office space, 
And uh, you're in the mindset kind of like me where in the downtime, you want to double down uh, and continue to grow. If your company's fundamentals are going well and you think you're going to be somewhat stable, there is a tremendous opportunity for office tenants. And, and we, I have clients like this where we're, we're using this time to expand. And if you can fast forward these savings, so say that you were, your lease is expiring, you're a large law firm, your lease is expiring in five years, why not? Fast forward that savings to today, get better economics in the lease term, get a few million dollars worth of rent abatement, right? Reinvest in your company, go out, get a top producing partner, or a couple of top producing partners from other firms. And then how does that affect your revenue over the next 10 years? If you can get somebody who comes in and produces a few million dollars a year for you because you're able to pay them now, as opposed to in five years, you know, what does that mean uh, in, in perpetuity for your firm? Uh, so I think that there is for firms uh, a great opportunity to expand if they're in that mindset, if they're in, in cost cutting mode and there's other uh, fundamentals of their company that they're more concerned with. I see that's, it goes into the strategy and the planning of everything. But uh, so th- there, there's that. And then if, if you're looking to purchase commercial real estate, so far in the DC area, we have not seen that much of a decrease in, in purchase price. We've not seen a whole lot of activity, to be frank. We, we're not seeing a whole lot of, of price discount and, I think most buyers and brokers are still trying to figure out what is that COVID effect going to be. Uh, you know, I saw a number that there was a 10% price correction from, from February till now in July where properties were trading. So there's been a little bit of a disconnect or a discount, but so far we're not quite as many distressed assets as some buyers might have thought. Yeah, that's less that I would have thought as well. And it's like, I don't know, it's like, depending on what news channel you're turning on, you know, you think it's a lot worse than a 10% issue. But yeah, no, that, that's really interesting, too. And it's like, that's the thing. This is one of those, what everyone says, it's millionaires are made in a recession than, than in, a, in boom time. So very, very interesting thing to keep in consideration. Yeah, this has been a great conversation, Adam. So if anyone's interested in, in potentially speaking out or reaching out to you uh, about any of these issues, what's the best way to get in touch? First of all, I guess follow me on LinkedIn. It's uh, Adam Collins is my name. I try and post content there about commercial real estate news as it relates to not only the entire country, but specifically DC and the DC area and office users and where the trends are going. I also have a newsletter if you want to email me. It's acollins at mgaco.com. I'm more than happy to add you to my newsletter. Uh, If you're concerned about bringing your staff back to the office and understanding what precautions you should be taking and kind of some modifications to the office that you you might consider that are going to be reasonable. You shoot me an email and I can send you over a couple of different documents that my firm has put together, considerations for returning to work post COVID. All right. Awesome. And thanks for that. It's a super generous offer too. Really appreciate that. Adam. All right, guys, that will be it for today. So thanks again, Adam. It's been a super timely conversation. Obviously, if you made it this far, real estate is on your mind. So I think this is a you know, very unique episode, but also very super timely. So really appreciate the time. For everyone else there, we will be back next week, Tuesday at 8 a.m. with another episode of Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.